For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Great white sharks have sex. Nice. And they do it face-to-face, or maybe chin-to-chin. Outside of a little biting, great white coitus is, depending on how you would look at it, maybe not the reason you call them great. We know a great deal about great whites. They take a long time to hit sexual maturity. Males about 26 years. Females about 33 They can live to almost 70 years of age, making them one of the oldest living cartilaginous fishes. And at the tippy top of their weight class, they can be as large as 5,000 pounds and 20 feet in length. They are the primary predator of mammals in the ocean, meaning you don't want to be a seal around a great white. Yet, where and how great whites mate has been described in some academic circles as the holy grail for the reason that you cannot fully understand an animal if you don't know how they got to be. One theory is they migrate to mid-ocean, deep water, do their mating there, and then disperse across the rest of the ocean. This would explain the lack of intimate scenes in the iconic great white-tailed Jaws, and also Jaws 2 through 4, for that matter. I'm kidding, of course. Jaws is full of inaccuracies. The lack of a great white copulation scene wouldn't have corrected things, even if it were done accurately. First observed off the coast of Nugget Point, Southland, New Zealand, by a seal researcher who described watching two great whites off a sandbar, things apparently started aggressively, then eventually the pair slowly spun together, belly to belly. The observation lasted 40 minutes. The copulation Uh, Time remains unknown. More recently, in 1997, a fisherman named Ledgerwood, this reporting done by The Guardian, had witnessed the same event, 
also very shallow on a spit of sand. He described the rolling and rolling and rolling of two 12 to 13 foot sharks in about the same depth of water. They appeared unfazed by the presence of Ledgerwood and his boat. He said he probably wouldn't have been deterred either. Way to be Captain Ledgerwood. As to swimming with bow-legged women. Although with only two sightings, no photo or video documentation, we still don't know, scientifically speaking, exactly how great whites mate. It does appear that we're getting closer. And it does seem like if you're one of those people that have, let's say, a bumper sticker that says, great whites do it deep, you may want to get rid of that. In all seriousness, the great white shark in their distinct populations are listed as threatened in certain parts of the ocean. If we can determine where and, of course, how these incredible sharks mate, we can protect those areas and ensure the longevity of the species. This week, we've got expensive fish, PSAs, wolves, and so much more. But first, I want to tell you about my week. My week and this podcast is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. If you're considering a new saw or tool to impose the will of man against the backyard elements, choose steel. You'll get a fantastic product made and sold by great people, and you'll be supporting this podcast. That's a win-win-win scenario. As you may or may not know, it is elk season. That time of the year where the elk scream, grunt, mew, cry, whistle, stomp, and smash things, including themselves, in order to get the opportunity to reproduce. On top of that madness, birds like Hungarian partridge, quail, pheasants, chucker, grouse are all extra active trying to pack on pounds for the winter, as are bear, trout, and our late maters, the deer. Of course, as the cold starts to push down, the cranes, geese, ducks, rails, and swans will come with it. Fall is just the best time of year and the most painful. All good things happen in just a couple of months, and then there is, you know, the rest of the year. I'm very happy to report that with the production of two more batches of sausage, my freezer will once again be open for receiving. We did a 13-pound batch of white wine garlic Thai basil, a 10-pound batch of sweet Italian, a 10-pound batch of merguez, and I have another block of about yeah, 25 to 30 pounds to go. Uh, what does one do with all of this sausage, you may ask? I pretty much just give it away. It's the most expensive stuff in the freezer, both in my time, ingredients, hog and lamb casings, the amount of time you got to take to wash and thaw and dry everything, but it's also the most self-explanatory. I can hand out neatly packaged sausage to non-game eaters or folks who just can't cook and they end up happy. It's an odd cycle, folks. Happy fall. I'm very excited. And, you know, so is Snort the dog. She's still a puppy, of course, but she'll be eventually a dog. She's starting to turn into a retrieving machine, and I'm really excited to see what her first impressions of wild birds will be. Good luck out there, and be courteous. Moving on to the public service announcement desk. If you've been treading the elk woods or walking the fields or fishing or doing anything else outside, you have probably come across one of the most despised bits of trash in the outdoors. And no, I'm not talking about surface poo. 
I'm talking about latex or mylar balloons. That piece of sometimes deadly litter that floats away to parts unknown. I have picked up solo, lonesome-looking balloons, balloons with best wishes and happy birthday on them, both in English and Spanish, even clusters of six to ten balloons in far-removed places very few people have seen. These clusters were in color combinations that somehow said, I graduated from high school or college, yet I am still not educated enough to hang on to a frickin' balloon. There is no such thing as a good balloon. Recently, the University of Tasmania, Australia, set out to prove just that. Spoiler alert, even the so-called eco-friendly brands that boasted 100% biodegradable and 100% natural don't break down in soil to any degree after 16 weeks. In salt water, they'll gain a little mass, but in either case, they can still be consumed by our wildlife. Just stop buying balloons. If you need a replacement gift or gesture, do as I do. Go with something that is edible or drinkable or handmade, not something that, under the best of circumstances, ends up in a landfill within 24 hours. There are better ways to spend that hard-earned dollar, folks, like investing, maybe in carp. Next up, but sticking with the PSA's desk, don't start fires. Washington state has noted a dramatic increase in human-caused fire, as has California and Oregon. Anecdotal observations are pointing to first-time campers in the woods, but let's be honest, careless is careless, and if you look at what is going on in the West right now, fire-wise, a lot of this could have been prevented. The U.S. Forest Service already reports that over 84% of wildland fires are human-caused, and that number isn't even taking into account this year's fires. On a related note, the National Parks Observer reports an Arizona man's plea deal of over $53,000 plus community service after his attempt to burn his toilet paper in the Grand Canyon, which caused a 64-acre burn within the park. Part of the plea agreement for the 72-year-old man is to help educate park visitors on the dangers of burning your toilet paper which definitely suggests this person is a retiree or just has a heart of gold when it comes to the national parks. I know the desert landscape is delicate, but I would suggest a lighter sentence if the poopetrator here is actually willing to do this. Can you imagine the conversation? Hey, kids. Yeah! Let me tell you why you shouldn't burn toilet paper. Ew! Why were you burning toilet paper? Well, I... Uh, It's going to be a learning experience and very impactful. In all seriousness, a campfire really isn't necessary to enjoying your time outdoors for the majority of the year, if not all of the year. If the conditions are ultra dry, windy, or you are just unsure, go without. Don't drive your vehicle in tall grass or off designated roads and don't smoke. Moving on to the investment desk. This segment brought to you by Monica Jones of Edward Jones. I'm just kidding. Monica is a financial planner. She just isn't hip on this subject. I mean, I'm not even sure if that's true, actually. She just may be playing coy. That's right, kids. It's time to pick up a fishing rod, grab some bait balls, and invest your time in carp. Why? A koi carp sold for $1.8 million. Rice farmers started raising koi to help clean their rice fields and eat. 
eventually, I think because of lack of anything better to do, the farmers took more interest in them and started selectively breeding them for ornamental purposes. Known as living jewels, these koi are hand-selected, starting with millions of tiny fish that the farmer then has to whittle down to a manageable number. Some farmers raise only a thousand fish a year, but they get there through a grueling selection process. The fish are fed a special high-quality diet and kept in the cleanest water. All of this ideally produces a nice glow. Even distribution of spots and colors, red and white, are particularly sought after, as well as a nice shape. Breeders keep meticulous track of their lineages, making koi breeding extremely similar to dog breeding. For instance, there are 200 registered dog breeds and 170 koi breeds. Maybe this is something I'll look into when a koi can bring a bird back. $1.8 million is the biggest price tag to date, but koi routinely go for thousands, tens of thousands, and of course, much more. Sure, these fish are coddled. That's a fish pun for you. But these fish are still carp. You know, the same ones we shoot or occasionally flip up on the bank. Just a side note for those that are interested. The $1.8 million carp sold at nine years of age. So you'll want to plan ahead. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com cal. That's meetfabric.com cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. 
Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on and back to the state of Colorado desk and their ongoing wolf debate. Simply put, Will Colorado seek to reintroduce wolves to the state or take a hands-off approach and see if the handful of wolves that have already wandered into the state will start to reproduce and spread on their own? The goal, in either case, would be to have a genetically viable, healthy wolf population. In other words, wolves will be in Colorado. What we're arguing over is how and on what timeline. Genetically viable is a number that is arguable. It could be as low as 100 wolves or as high as 250 wolves. As we have covered a couple of times now, I am pro nature take its course. You know, just like in Jurassic Park, where those darned dinos were engineered to be infertile. But life finds a way. Mike Phillips is a consultant for the Rocky Mountain Wolf Action Fund and the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, both pro-reintroduction, the latter being wolf education-focused as opposed to wolf reintroduction lobbying legislation-focused. Mike has a long list of bona fides. He's a biologist who has worked on wolves and reintroductions of wolves for some 40 years. He is pro-reintroduction and his name is mentioned in almost every article on this subject. So I reached out to him to ask, how can we reintroduce something that is already there? And what the heck is the benefit to reintroducing wolves, which is a subject that can get you in a fight in all sorts of ways along the Rocky Mountains? Question one, what is a population according to the Federal Endangered Species Act? which, if you've been paying attention, the Trump administration has asked to delist the gray wolf in the lower 48. The gray wolf has been above its population objective for years now and is currently delisted in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. Section 10J of the Endangered Species Act allows for reintroduction of a species only when the species in question does not have two or more reproducing populations for a period of two years which Colorado officially does not. The current pack, located in Colorado, isn't even officially a pack. A wolf pup survey is going to take place this spring to see if pups are present. If they are, and my gut says there will be, that is only one population. The other factor to consider in Section 10J of the Endangered Species Act, and I found this interesting, so pay attention, is that the reintroduced species needs to be geographically disconnected from members of the species already within the state. The reason for this is, and obviously Colorado is our example here, the current wolves living in Colorado are protected by both state and federal Endangered Species Act. Reintroduced wolves would be managed by the state. Keeping these two populations separate would allow for separate management plans. Which, more or less, brings us to question two. 
How could this be a good thing? And for those of you in areas of Colorado where the elk numbers are falling, largely due to there being too many dang people and trails in the woods and e-bikes and snowmobiles and backcountry skiers, hikers, hunters, horseback riders, never giving these animals a break, the answer, according to Mike, is this. And keep in mind that this is being slightly interpreted by yours truly. If we set the table with our wolves that lack the Federal Endangered Species Act protections, then the management of those wolves will be much less restrictive to the various user groups and interests, hunters to hikers to ranchers. Now that means the wolf management plan will likely piss everyone off, ideally somewhat equally. If the as-soon-as-they-cross-the-state-line endangered wolves keep slowly building their own numbers in the state, the various interest groups could potentially be hindered by their presence more severely for a longer period of time. That's why interests fight like hell to keep animals off of the Endangered Species Act. The human obstacles to natural wolf migration into Colorado are many, and this is obviously a human tolerance issue. I still love the idea of these animals doing it on their own. It is a much cooler story. I also think of how we treat our animals in accordance with their labels. Varmint, fur bearer, endangered, big game, small game, upland game. For instance, if you are a turkey hunter, pheasant hunter, quail hunter, rainbow trout, any sort of trout fisher, elk hunter, you can't really look anyone in the eye and say you are anti-reintroduction of a species. You do, however, have a say in how these animals get there. The vote to reintroduce wolves in Colorado is Proposition 114. Mike Phillips does admit that much like in Jurassic Park, life, if given enough space and time, will find a way. But in this case, and in his opinion, it would be two steps forward and one step back for a long frickin' time, pal. Next stop, the Florida desk. Remember when Teenage Mutant Turtles were just pizza-eating, sewer-dwelling superheroes? Now, biologists with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission are showing off their own near-mutant, 100-pound male Sewanee alligator snapping turtle caught with a hoop net trap in the New River north of Gainesville. There were actually three of these crazy-looking reptiles found, including a 46-pound female and another male weighing in at 64 pounds. Researchers estimate that the trio is anywhere from 40 to 80 years old. What do they look like? Well, if you're a Star Wars fan, I'd say Jabba the Hutt with a shell. These snappers, which were first discovered in 2014 and are now classified as endangered, sport scary-looking beak-like jaws, a thick spiked shell, and girthy tails. Folks have taken to calling them the dinosaur of the turtle world, which makes sense because they'd be at home in your local natural history museum next to the right fossils. Up until recently, it was believed there was only one species of the largest freshwater turtle in North America, but now researchers have another to study. Alligator snapping turtles aren't all looks, though. They hunt with a cool ambush technique. They sit motionless while presenting a bright pink vermiform appendage on the very tip of their tongue to draw in prey. The inside of their mouths are camouflaged. So, before long, snap, and it's lights out. 
Their jaw power is impressive, easily snapping a broom handle, so you can imagine what would it do to your finger or toes. Despite that power, the worry with the Swanee breed is that the New River, which comprises the bulk of their limited habitat, is a blackwater stream with low biological productivity. Basically, we got big turtles in a small stream. Any major pollution event or further creep of habitat loss can do a number on them. Here's hoping that shining a spotlight on these incredibly cool critters will give them plenty of room to move slowly into the future. Next up, from the very seldom, I swear, visited adult film desk, who says the porn industry doesn't care about nature? I mean, who says that, really? Probably nobody, ever. But I've got no idea how to introduce a story about a scrotum frog in Lake Titicaca and a porn site that's raising money to save it. I'll pause here to let you make your own jokes before we move on. Do you get that all out of your system? Good. All right, let's face the facts. In honor of National Wildlife Day on Friday, September 4th, webcam-focused porn site I Am Live launched a fundraising campaign to save the so-called scrotum frog, a South American amphibian that looks like those loose skin pouches that holds a man's testicles. Why? Here at I Am Live, we care deeply about the environment, and are totally excited about helping the preservation of wildlife, said Adrian Stoneman, I Am Live Vice President. We're asking our whole community to turn their attention to and help save a different type of scrotum, a majestic species that once swelled in numbers within Lake Titicaca before commercial industries initiated their demise. That's a quote. Sure, this is a uh, silly publicity stunt, but it's also going to make some money to impact the recently endangered Tomotobias culius, commonly known as the Titicaca water frog. The species is known for its large size and for the many folds increases in its skin that make for an appropriate comparison to the testicular sac. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature recently reported an approximately 80 to 90% decline of the species from 1994 to 2004. Conservationists know that this frog is an indicator species, which means it is key to the Lake Titicaca region between Peru and Bolivia. You know, it like lets you know if things are good or bad. The scrotum frog is essential to ecological health in the 3,200 square mile lake in the Andes. In 2019, the IUCN changed the frog's status from critically endangered to simply endangered. But that doesn't mean the 18-year-old porn site can't help. I Am Live hopes to raise money for the Denver Zoo, which is in the middle of a long fight to save these frogs. I know you're wondering how the porn site is going to raise the money. The site held a wild animal-themed digital party over Labor Day weekend and then gave 5% of the proceeds to the zoo. In the long list of things you can't make up about this story, the party included live chats with women and various animal outfits they dubbed it, quote, scrotal recall. My work is done here. I'm moving on. Before I do, if you find errors in this story, uh, sure. The fact of the matter is, research was limited by the fact that I only have a work computer. Nice. Moving on. 
to a warm and fuzzy outro for this week's podcast. Italy's famous breakout bear, Papillon, has a story worthy of the Shawshank Redemption. The 368-pound four-year-old brown bear, also known as M49, has become well-known across Europe after multiple escapes from his enclosure at the Alpine Animal Care Center, Casteller, which calls itself a true haven for injured and sick wild animals. Papillon didn't just stroll out of the center either time. On July 27, he somehow got through multiple reinforced barriers in his 9,000 square meter enclosure and even removed a radio collar that he'd been wearing after a separate escape attempt about a year ago. It was this first escape where his legend started to grow. He's affectionately named after the central character of the autobiographical novel by French writer and escaped convict Henri Henri Charrier. It's said that Papillon scaled three electric fences and a 13-foot wall to make it out before spending 289 days on the lamp. When he was finally captured and returned, he was castrated in a bid to calm him down. That, to me, sounds like prison colony stuff, so it's a fair comparison. It didn't work. Just two months later, he authored his most recent escape and fled into the nearby mountains. This time, like some Wild West outlaw, Papillon had a dead or alive bounty on his head. Authorities said he was responsible for multiple livestock killings and numerous intrusions into homes, shelters, and other buildings, confirming the dangerous behavior towards humans. Luckily for him, the bear was captured in a culvert trap last week and is now back in captivity. Animal activists aren't happy with this result and are calling for the bear to be released and monitored. They say he is no threat to the public. World Wildlife Fund Italy claims that M49 is not a danger to humans and has shown little aggression. That seems like a pretty blue sky notion, especially if you're a local homeowner with a giant brown bear digging in your trash. But this is a famous bear with a name. He even has a fan club. So, as we've seen with other famous predators like Cecil the Lion, Papillon's life and death are destined to be controversial. Trento's governor, Maurizio Fugari, interrupted a council meeting to deliver the news of the bear's latest escapade. He said, through a spokesman, the fence was fortified and despite that, he was able to break through the very resistant fence that was partially electric. He had a desire to escape stronger than a 6,000 volt fence. The problem is, he is too wild and has a strong instinct to return to the forest. He's stated the sadly obvious reality here. But for now, we'll just have to sit back and wait for the next Mission Impossible-style Papillon escape. Stay tuned. That's all I've got for you this week. As always, thanks for listening. Please let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and most importantly, what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at meateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. 
you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. 